Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Hamster Business Show. My name is Chris Pastrana, and today I am here with Michael Howpley Pierce. Perfect. Awesome. <laughs> and uh, he is co-owner of Litherman's Limited. So how are you doing? Really well. Yeah? How are you? Good. Awesome. So you are my first brewer on the show. This is fantastic. Excellent. So I like alcohol, and I think this will be a good interview. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. So let's get a little background on you, and then we talk about your business. All right. Um, well, once upon a time, my daddy and mommy loved each other very much. <laughs> no, we won't go that far back. Um, I moved here about 20 years ago from California, just looking to kind of do life 2.0. Mm -hmm. um, 40 bucks in my pocket, a backpack, a couple of boxes of books, and that was it. And um, that was almost exactly 20 years ago. So it's been an interesting journey since I got here. Um, that culminated in uh, a few years ago, my business partner, Doc Jones, Steve Bradbury, and I put together a business plan and um, through a lot of trial and error, finding a location and securing a lease and starting our fit up. And uh, we opened our doors almost two years ago. Yeah, that's really cool. So so you have a couple partners then you said? Just one, Doc Just Jones, it's his nickname. His real name's Steve Bradbury. Okay. So. To take it way back, we were a hip-hop group before we were a brewery. So I'm probably the first hip-hop group you've had on the show as well. Yes, so you it's, are. it's a day of firsts. Yeah. Um, and at the time, he was a pharmaceutical salesperson, actually a sales manager for yeah. a big pharma company. So he couldn't exactly have the fact that he was you know, dropping old-school rhymes on Facebook and have someone try to look him up in the process of perhaps interviewing him for employment and come up with him making beer in the driveway or recording hip hop just because pharma people have no sense of humor, generally speaking. So he had the nom de plume of Doc Jones because he was, uh, he actually studied um, anthropology in college. So a little Indiana Jones joke, Doc Jones. So that became his Facebook name and in addition to his uh, rap name. And that just sort of <laughs> stuck with him throughout the year. So pretty much everyone at the brewery knows him as Doc Jones. Okay. Oh, cool. That's pretty awesome. I love those little backstories because there's so there's so much to small businesses that you don't get with big businesses. Like, I mean, I'm sure they might, but I'm sure Budweiser doesn't have a cool story <laughs> about something. So, and it's fun to get in that from you know some of the smaller smaller businesses. And we have so much fun at work. I mean, the, the whole reason we're there is because this is what we wanted to do. You know, it wasn't like we took this job because we had to. It wasn't like we were doing this because this was what we were going to make the most money doing and we're going to suffer through it. Yeah. We opened a brewery because it's what we love and it's what we want to do. So every day we're doing what we want to do. Sometimes we have to remind ourselves of that, but it's the case. So we have fun. Part of having fun is poking fun. And so pretty much everyone at the brewery has a nickname. Yeah. That's, I like that. That's impressive. I don't have a nickname for myself, but if I... Come to the brewery, we'll give you one. Okay. As long as it's not about my weight. <laughs> you said you were in the army. I'm not going to make any yeah. <laughs> any comments. Okay. So you said you opened the business about a year and a half ago, two years? Uh, it'll be two years on April 4th. Okay, cool. So almost anniversary. That's yeah. pretty cool. So how's it been since then? Like you opened up and has it been shining rainbows? <laughs> well, it's. I mean, it's been so much work and it's been all the stuff where, you know, you leave the slush fund of time and and nonsense because you know stuff's going to come up that's going to slow you down you just don't necessarily know what it is so all that stuff just sort of auto populated and it came up just like we thought it would but you know a business plan is a convenient fiction right so we started thinking that we were going to have a space that was primarily manufacturing primarily packaging beer in 22 ounce bottles and wholesaling it and that that was going to be the driver and 
times change and that's not at all what's happening now we don't even put beer in 22 ounce bottles two years later so everything has changed we are much more hospitality driven than we originally thought we were going to be it is a significantly bigger piece of our overall equation than we thought it was going to be we've actually expanded our hospitality space tasting room just to accommodate the fact that it is a growing segment that we didn't think we were going to have access to and we do yeah and so when you say hospitality do you mean like just a place people actually come and drink yeah Okay. Yeah. And we have folks that come in. We're open right now three days a week, Thursday, Friday, 4 to 7, Saturday, 12 to 5. Uh, we'll mm-hmm. be expanding that for our anniversary, actually going from 11 to 19 hours a week. So extending the days that were already open and opening Sunday as well. But we have people that come in every Thursday or every Friday or some folks that work a block away and come in for a pint after work every day and then bring a howler home to have dinner with their wife or their husband. And we're a part of people's routine. We're the local. You know, we don't, yeah. we don't have people coming in and getting sloppy. I've had to shut two people off in two years since we opened. So we don't really have that phenomena. But so. we do have the nice kind of cheers feel to it. I don't know how else to put it. As a, as a child of the 80s, that's kind of what it is, is you know our regulars walk in and, and they get greeted by people inside. Um, it's pretty cool. Yeah, that's really cool. Hmm. That's it. Like I said, sometimes you get the big places that just sell your generic beers and you kind of don't get that same feel. It's like we, we were talking about Pipe Dream earlier, and they have that same type of small feel to it because they make their own stuff. Right. And then I'm, same way with you guys. So I think people appreciate that because <laughs> you, you don't get that from a normal bar. Right. It's a different kind of experience. You're, yeah. getting, you're getting the whole experience. And I think beer is experiential. Sometimes the best beer you ever had was because you were having the best time you ever had, not necessarily because mm-hmm. it was the best beer you know, subjectively. Objectively, it was, yeah. it was so much a piece of the experience. Yeah. Um, and I think that if you're there in the space that the people who made the beer think is the way it's best enjoyed and maybe they're telling you the story along the way, like you can't get a whole lot better than that. It's like having the chef come to your table and tell you about the dish, right? Like that's, that's awesome. Yeah. That's pretty cool. So how do you guys go about, uh, I guess, designing flavors, picking what you want to actually sell and produce? The tasting room is a big piece of that because you get a lot of immediate feedback on what people like and what people don't like. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my partner and I definitely have our own opinions. We were home brewers for a long time. We're both certified beer judges for whatever that's worth. But it's actually a certification program with, you know, a multiple hundred question and a a proctored exam. So we went through that process, which kind of teaches you how to how to be objective about sensory experiences and know that you're tasting for vinyl glycol when you know cloviness in a yeast and be able to pull that out you know it's like pulling the baseline out of a song you know you have to train your ear to be able to do that some people just hear the music if you ask them to listen to the baseline and hum it they couldn't do it so you kind of have to train your brain to be able to do that with flavors yeah and that's a big piece of it in learning your ingredients it's kind of like a chef that you know i know that if i use cinnamon in this cake at this amount it's going to have this result and when you learn your your malts and your hops and how they play with each other and how the yeasts perform at given temperatures and with given amounts of sugars available you can kind of guess where things are going to go even if you've never taken them there before and we love to play with belgian flavors Uh, we do a lot of a style called saison which is a really simple um, tough to define style that was really more based around uh, a yeast style and uh, a brewing style farmhouse made pretty much with seasonal ingredients, low alcohol consumed by farmhands over the course of the day. And we play a lot with that style. Uh, We do a lot of hop forward stuff, a lot of dry hop pale ales and IPAs. We have an Imperial red ale, simply red that we dry hop like a double IPA. Um, 
And then we like to play with sort of off-the-wall kind of stuff. We have a chocolate-covered strawberry imperial stout for Valentine's Day on right now called Hot Sex on a Platter. Um, We have uh, Vanilla Banana Porter coming out this week. Actually, Mm -hmm. a can release of Millie Vanilli. They're all bad music puns. so those are kind of the three areas that we play with. And uh, as the spring rolls back in and we're dialing our new equipment, we'll be doing a whole bunch more sour ales as well because that was something that we had a lot of uh, really good exposure with last summer. But we upgraded our equipment, and it's not quite up to spec to make sour beers right now. So we're working on that to hopefully have some out in about six weeks. All right, so I guess this is kind of a quick little thing into what's a sour beer over some of the other ones? It's literally a sour beer. So yeah. the... This is going to sound gross. The bacteria that makes sauerkraut sour or kimchi or yogurt is also used in some traditional European brewing styles. Mm -hmm. And you can use those bugs, as they're called, at various points in fermentation. But if you use them either in the mash tun or the kettle, which is the very early part of the actual brewing process, that's called a kettle sour. Uh, Berliner Weiss is one example of it. A Goza is a slightly salty version of it. there's some other styles, but those are the ones that are most well-known. So they actually drop the acidity down to the point of almost lemonade before you boil the beer and then cool it down and then add your standard brewer's yeast and then ferment it out. So all of that happens kind of at the very beginning, the mash in or just after you run the liquid off of the grains into the kettle. But before you fire up the kettle, you add hmm. souring bacteria and carbon dioxide yeah. and you bubble carbon dioxide into it to keep it keep the oxygen out to keep it an anaerobic environment, which yeah. keeps the the lactobacteria that you've added doing what you want, but it also keeps the nasty, the E. coli and anything else that might be in the air from being able to take hold because it, yeah. o- it needs oxygen. And you give it a couple of days, you monitor the pH, and it gives you a nice, clean, lactic acid tanginess. And then you fire up the kettle, and it kills all the bacteria, and you boil the beer as normal and process it as normal from there. Hmm. You have to... Treat the yeast a little different because it's a very acidic environment, but generally speaking, they're okay with that. So we're going to be doing a lot more of those. Generally, uh, they're quite fruity, um, not sweet, almost exclusively very dry, actually, but very fruity. So we've done, um, we did a Concord grape, pink grapefruit. That was called Pink Monkey Bird. We yeah. did a Barbados Rum Punch inspired, which yeah. was passion fruit, orange, Fresh grated nutmeg and dark rum oak, and that was Throne of Gold. We've done Little Peach of My Heart a bunch of times, which is just really amazing quality peaches. Um, so we'll be having a lot of fun with that too. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Because um, you had mentioned something earlier that kind of struck a chord. Because I've never done this, <laughs> but back in my day, I used to teach people how to dance for a very short amount of time. Mm-hmm. And you'll, you'll get my train of thought here in a second because <laughs> it just sounds a little off. But you you first you learn the steps and then you kind of after you get really really good you forget about just like the normal oh, do it this way and you kind of start dancing right you know and it it kind of runs like what you're talking about right now is um you kind of learn probably the basics of brewing beer and then after a while you learn how to play with it and how to make beer right it goes from <laughs> learning the words to speaking the language yeah yeah exactly and then because there's more you know, nuance to it there's more in the system and so that's pretty cool and a lot of these things are kind of the same so i kind of i get that through that experience of my and it's an unfolding <laughs> process where beer in america 20 years ago meant you had a blonde ale and mm-hmm. a pale ale and a brown ale 
yeah. that was it. And if you were really trendsetting, you might have an IPA. Yeah. But now there are so many styles that are not only emerging as new or hybrids, but they're styles that are kind of coming out of obscurity from all over the world. Most of America still thinks that beer is one thing. Yeah. And that's pale and watery and not very flavor forward, a little malty, a little hoppy, and it comes from one of a couple of really giant manufacturers. Yeah. But the truth is that that is one take on one style from one very small region of one very small country in the world. Yeah. You know, that's kind of the American cereal heavy take on a Czech Pilsner. Yeah. Is really what the big <laughs> beers in America are. Yeah. And there's so much variety in the world that has nothing to do with what we call beer in america i mean i was just listening to another podcast um milk the funk mm-hmm. which is a it's a, a really deep rabbit hole for people who geek out on microbiology as it <laughs> pertains to fermentation okay. and they had a guy lars something with an umlaut and he's been doing this study in scandinavia and estonia and latvia looking at these pre-industrial styles of farmhouse brewing where these guys are are not even boiling the wort. They're taking hot rocks and putting it in with mash tuns and putting it in the central oven in their house in Russia and all these really interesting styles of beer that we probably wouldn't even call beer. So there's there's all kinds of nooks and crannies where there's new styles hiding and you always have to up your game because some of them are just extensions of the knowledge that you have, but a lot of them are not. The, the sour beer that we talked about, that was something we never did as home brewers. That was a whole nother protocol. That was a whole nother set of chemistry. That was a whole nother set of microbiology that we had to, okay, we got to figure this out if we're going to do this right on top of all the other stuff that we're already doing. So, yeah. And that's part of the fun is that it is such a almost limitless world in craft beer. I feel like wine is kind of stymied by tradition. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so French and, and, and so regimented, yeah. you know, kind of by law in France that I think that that has sort of tumbled down even into American wine. But craft brew is just so american it's all cowboy it's like just yeah. let's push the frontiers and if i offended you then i'll just leave you in the <laughs> dust and keep going and that's yeah. kind of i think that's where craft beer in america is right now that's really cool <laughs> that's good to see because you're right the what the big companies put out can be kind of boring because <laughs> like it all pretty much tastes the same it's all kind of shitty <laughs> and it's what people want Obviously, because it's still Cause it does the well, majority yeah. of the market. Yeah. But it's kind of like we got to a point with food where it was mother's little helper. It was all, you know, frozen steaks and a box of cake. And, and you bought it at the supermarket because you were supposed to. And we dumbed it down to the point where we even had food that was generic and didn't even have a brand or a description beyond butter or, or flour. And we've kind of emerged from that in that we now have the supermarkets actually offer us a little bit more variety and they understand that we want to know a little bit more about where stuff came from and a little bit more about what's in it and a little bit more about what variety of whatever thing it is that it is. But the beer world is just starting to come out of that. And I think that there are still a lot of people who don't understand that just because we dumbed beer down to one thing in America, it isn't just one thing anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, cause that'll be an interesting step because Again, the big companies can, they produce pretty generic things or what we see as generic. But when you get to like the mass, mass producing of some of the more uncommon things, that'll be a really interesting step to see if that can happen. Just from the variety of what's possible. You mean as far as seeing craft beer being taken to that scale? Yeah. Well, think of the biggest quote unquote craft beer producer in the country is Boston Beer Company, Mm -hmm. Sam Adams. They're 1% 
of the market. Yeah. And they're still kind of pushing the limits on how big you can be and still be considered craft. Hmm. So I don't know. It may be one of those things where you can't be craft and be a behemoth. Yeah. Maybe you just can't. And I think the big companies have tried to do that in a couple of ways. In the 90s, they tried to be crafty. And then in the 2000s, they tried to kill craft brands. And then in the 2010s, they decided to buy craft brands. And I think hmm. in the 2020s, it's going to be manipulation of metadata because they're international and they can do that and we can't. And that's going to be the new sort of control tactic. But they're never going to be able to be us. Yeah. You know, they can pretend to be us or they can kill us or they can buy us or they can enumerate us, but they can't be us. Yeah. Hmm. That's a good point. I like that. And so I guess that brings up a good question is if you're someone who's just not happy with the big manufacturers, how do you go about finding a good little, you know, a craft place that you actually enjoy? Is it just try them all? Well, I think... You know, there's so much information on the internet. You can always go to someone's website and find out what they're about, find yeah. out what kind of beer they like to make. I think the the craft beer shops are a really good resource in learning about what's out there. I know mm-hmm. that um, when Burt's Better Beers opened up, I don't know how long it was, eight years ago, I was so happy because I lived in Manchester and there wasn't a good beer store in town. I was traveling at the time a lot um, by, by car for work. And I was four states, so I had, you know, I, there was a stop in Springfield, Mass. that had great craft beer, and I would make sure I popped in there when I was in Western Mass. And there was a spot right off of exit 187 in Bangor that had a quick stop that had a 10 feet of a great craft beer selection. I'd stop there when I was up in Maine. And, and then you started seeing craft beer shops like Burt's open up in New Hampshire, and those are the people that can really sort of sommelier you through what you're looking for. But a good brewery is going to be able to offer you a little bit of everything. Um, I think there are breweries that specialize in stuff, and that's that's great for reaching that niche market. But I think the breweries that are going to find success are the ones that have something for almost anybody that walks in the door. So just walk in the door and be honest. We have that all the time. I, I look forward to those people coming in the door when I say, what do you drink? And you can tell they're almost embarrassed to tell you what they drink. It's like, no, 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 tell me. I, I want to try to, I want to come as close to what you're looking for as I can, but you got to tell me. So some people say, oh, I drink Blue Moon or Shock Top or I drink Coors or I drink mixed drinks or I drink wine. And we can try to find something that will hit some of the right buttons for you. Not always. My wife comes in. She never finds anything she wants to drink at the brewery. <laughs> but I know that. I expect that. Yeah. But for most people, there's going to be something out there. Yeah. There's... <laughs> And my wife would be the same way because she's, she's all sorts of crazy, but that's, that's her. <laughs> um, okay. So I'm going to roll really quickly into a word from our sponsors and then we'll come back with the tips and tricks sections. So everyone hold on just a moment. Stop living in the past. Take responsibility for your life and improve yourself. I'm doing it with my weight, as in some of my other programs, as you can tell, and I'm constantly on the ball learning and doing new things because that's what I know I want to do moving forward. So head head over to nhpinshow.com slash self-authorship, or self-author, and check out the self-authorship program. Jump in, make sure you, you fully examine your past, um, you look at your present, and then you plan your future. Don't waste the one chance you have at life just working a nine to five, not doing what you really want to do. So head on over nhbusinessshow.com slash self author and uh, get started today. 
And then, cool. Okay, and welcome back. So, a new, since we were talking about this kind of before we started rolling. Let me switch my camera here. Um, new Hampshire is <coughs> doing wonders with, again, you said lowering the, the barrier to entry. So, more breweries are popping up. Um, so, someone who's looking to get into that game, what recommendations do you have for them? Well, it's interesting. I My recommendations a year ago are very different than when my recommendations would be now. Yeah. We could, you know, we could explore a conversation ad nauseum about whether or not there's a bubble and, and whether or not it's going to burst and in what fashion mm-hmm. that's going to happen if it does. But all of that aside, the public is a different public than it was a year ago. And I recently got a chance to hear uh, Mitch Steele, who was the brewmaster at Stone Brewing in San Diego for a decade and before that ran the uh, Anheuser-Busch facility in Merrimack here and now just opened New Realm Brewing right in downtown Atlanta. And he's a, he's a rock star with a legit degree in fermentation science from UC Davis. And he said some things that made me think as far as mostly addressing a crowd of folks that were would-be or soon-to-be brewery owners at this conference, which was really geared towards them. And talking about what are you hoping to accomplish and how are you going to accomplish that? Um, and what are your protocols? What are your, what's your scientific background for that? How are you planning on managing your yeast? How are you, you know, all of these things that I think a lot of people that get into professional brewing from a home brewing standpoint might not have thought about because some things you hit a tipping point in scaling and you no longer can manage an expanded process of what you processed before. You have to st- have a whole new process in place. And I think yeast management is one of those things. You don't just go to the homebrew shop and drop seven bucks on a smack pack of yeast or 10 bucks on a smack pack of yeast. You have to propagate pounds and pounds and pounds of it. And you have to process it without contamination and you have to yeah. introduce it under pressure. And And one of the breakout meetings after that was specifically on yeast and um, it was Devin from Henniker Brewing Company here in New Hampshire that was one of the, uh, I believe he was the, um, not the proctor, but he was leading the panel. And he asked for a show of hands of how many people in the room were currently doing cell counts on yeast. And some folks rose their hands, raised their hands. And then he said, okay, how many of you are planning on doing yeast cell counts? And more people raised their hands. And he said, okay, of the people who are not currently doing it and did not raise your hands, why are you here? And it was harsh, but it's true. The industry's not at a point where you can just get a grown-up homebrew system and put out a shingle and start selling pints anymore because the the public is savvy and they've grown beyond forgiving the flaws that they might have 20 years ago. And that's so that's the thing is if you think you're just going to do what you're doing in your driveway with bigger pots and that you're yeah. going to make money doing it, you're not. You're just not. You, you might learn along the way and not saying that we didn't do that. We also went to school along the way. You know, we, we learned all the stuff that we had to learn, mostly not through trial and error, mostly through research, but some of it through trial and error. But you just yeah. can't expect that you're going to not have to up your game. Um, and I think 10 years ago, Seven years ago, especially five years ago, when they changed the, I guess it was seven years at this point, they they added the Nanobrew Act in New Hampshire, which set a lower taxation um, licensing cost. It also gave brewers the ability to self-distribute and uh, just more revenue streams with higher margin for brewers to not have to involve like third-party distribution and all that kind of stuff, be able to do pints on-premise. 
Um, I think there were a lot of breweries that opened at that point with people saying, oh, I, I, you know, I'm doing this okay. My friends like it. Let's see if I can make some money doing it. Um, but you got to up your game. That's the thing. It, it's all science at the at the bottom of it. All we yeah. do as brewers is set the stage for the yeast, and they are the stars of the show. And if we're bad stagehands, then they're going to put on a bad show. And, yeah. um, and I think a lot of people don't appreciate how much of a quantum leap it is to go from five gallons to 500 gallons. Hmm. That's really interesting, actually. So you're, you're talking about there being a bubble, you know, or a possible bubble as far as breweries go. I think you were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. So let's, let's talk about that real quick. Cause it's not really tips and tricks, but it it kind of is. <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to guess you're saying that there's probably too many microbreweries opening. Nope. Um, or... I don't think I don't think from the demand standpoint. Mm-hmm. But I think that there are. You look at how many restaurants fail and what is it like? Yeah. 80% of them fail in the first 18 months and another 10% mm-hmm. fail in the next two years or something yep. like that. I mean, those statistics are inaccurate, but it's something like that. Like 90% of them are going to fail within three years. Yeah. And we haven't seen that in the brewery industry. And yet we're, we're doing a lot of the same things. We're making a consumable product in the back of the house and we're serving it to people in the front of the house. I think that's odd. I think it it's part and parcel with the fact that people are looking for a new experience and they don't just want the mother's little helper beer from the supermarket. They want to get it from the brewer that made it locally. But I think during that expansion period, there was a lot of forgiveness because there were so many consumers that were new to the craft beer market. And they they weren't necessarily as discriminatory as they might have been. They weren't as aware. They weren't as educated. They didn't have educated palates. And so they were probably not necessarily even forgiving, maybe just not noticing things that might not have been the best beer. But it's a different group of folks that that are out there buying beer now, and they ask, what hops are in this beer? What yeast did you pitch on this? They're using terminology that would have been the domain of brewers five years ago, but is now the domain of consumers. So that's where I see the bubble being, is that the bar is constantly being raised. And the barrier to entry has been lowered, and that that leaves a window for people to creep through, but they can also get kicked right back out it. And I think that's what we're going to start to see happen. Hmm. You're going to start to see a chasm between, uh, for lack of a better term, the gentleman brewers that are doing 30 gallons at a time and are content with that and have no desire to be more than that. And you're going to see the folks that are 15 barrels, and that that's going to be where you're going to have to be because you can't function forever as a three-barrel brewery. And I say that as somebody who ran a three-barrel brewery for two years. And we now have a 15-barrel brewery. But it was a means to an end. We never thought that was what we were going to retire on. (laughs) And I think that that's we're going to see the the diminishing middle class in brewing. I think we're going to see the tiny little folks that either don't know how to make money or don't care. And the big folks that have somehow figured enough of it out that they're successful. And there's not going to be a lot left in the middle. And that's where I think the bubble's going to burst. That's really good because we talk about this a lot just in general economics when – when we have a recession or anything like that, what happens is your your least efficient companies are the ones that just don't operate very well, just drop out of the market, either with you know people not shopping there anymore. And so what you're talking about is if you, essentially if you if you stress the market to a point where people are less likely to go out to a craft brewery, you'll see some of that bubble burst like you're talking about. And I think that could be a kind of a lead up to what you're talking about. And the unfortunate part is that anytime somebody has a less than optimal craft beer experience, 
the more of an educated consumer they are, the least impact it's going to make on them. But if they're new to the craft beer world, if they don't understand that this whatever bad experience they had, whatever bad beer they had, whatever they had that wasn't optimal because someone wasn't on top of their game, that that's not representative of the scene at large. But it hurts the scene at large. Yeah. That may be someone the first time someone said, oh, come to XYZ Brewery with me. I might like craft beer. And they had a horrible time with that horrible beer or whatever. And they're like, ah, screw this. I'm going back to Budweiser. Craft beer sucks. Mm-hmm. So we have to be careful. There was a, a video I saw a while back, and I don't remember which brewer it was, but it was a brewer from a, a large brewery addressing like 3,000 brewers at a brewer's convention saying, you know, we're exposing a big piece of America to this thing called craft beer that we've been protecting for 30 years. Don't F it up. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's my hope is I really don't want to see breweries go out of business because I think there's enough business for everybody. It used to be a brewery in every town. I mean, before mm-hmm. Prohibition and, and pieces of Europe still... There, there were breweries in every town, and that was how beer was made and served. It didn't travel long distances. It, it was local, and it was like the bread. And I, so I think that is totally doable, but it kind of counts on everybody towing the line with, with quality and process as well. Yeah. And, and so I would like to see the breweries that might not be doing as well as they can do better because it just strengthens the scene. Yeah. Hmm, that's pretty cool. So back onto my little tip section. <laughs> making a good beer is only part of running a good business. So outside of the beer side of it, um, how is it actually running the brewery? Especially for someone who's new to the business, has never run a business. You're you're good at making the beer, but you've got the accounting, you've got customer service, there's a whole bunch of other stuff there too. Do you have any kind of tips for new guys with that? Well, I mean, I think you have to look at yourself as part of your team when you have to use your team to their strengths, right? Mm-hmm. If you're no good at something, you can try to learn it, but maybe you should find somebody who's just good at it. You know, I am not the guy you want running the books. Yeah. That's just not my sweet spot. Yeah. Um, my partner's wife is amazing. She, that, she just thinks in those terms. So it's good for her to do that. But if you asked her to go out and cold call bars to try to sell beer, I don't think she'd be very happy doing that. Whereas if you tell me I'm going to go make a day of cold calls and try to pick up some new accounts, I'm excited. I'm already thinking about the conversations I'm going to have. Yeah. So we were fortunate in that we came in with, I've worked so many stupid jobs. I mean, I've been in business to business sales in the construction industry for over a decade. But before that, I mean, I, I, I ran an assembly line in a clean room. I worked in a warehouse driving high bay lift equipment. I sold cars at an auto auction. Like I, I did everything. And luckily I pulled a piece from all those failures and was able to take it with me. Um, so the business to business sales piece we've got, the the marketing piece we're learning, but but it's kind of hand in hand with the sales piece. Um, the The compliance piece is tough. You have to be really careful with dotting your I's and crossing your T's because there is a lot of oversight. There's more oversight than most people are aware of. So I would say, I guess, if there's one tip that doesn't have to do directly with brewing per se, it would be record keeping because both in your brewing processes, you've got to have replicable everything. You got to know how much you used at what point and what the result was. So you got to take measurements. You got to be measuring pH. You got to be measuring gravity. You got to be measuring temperature. You've got to be looking at deltas from one day to the next but also in all of your business practices, when we get audited, um, I have to pull out six months worth of wholesale receipts and they look at the dates and make sure that the dates all lined up and they look, make sure that we're obligated to report anyone that doesn't pay us within 15 days by state law. And 
have to make sure that we did that if somebody didn't pay us. Um, looking at taxation rates and comparing the barrels that we reported to the feds versus the gallons that we reported to the state and reconciling differences on two different units of measurement. <laughs> so it's you have to really be on top of record retention, which is not fun. And for people who are, you know, brewers are somewhat madmen, methodical, but madmen, that's not necessarily the easiest piece. But you can get really in a lot of trouble if you <laughs> if you screw up with the liquor commission or the federal government. They don't really have a sense of humor. No, they do not. <laughs> okay, cool. So, I guess thanks for coming on the show. How do people get in touch with you if they want one to get some of your beer because it sounds fantastic, and two or just talk, learn, whatever. Can I throw out a couple of uh, places they can get our beer? Yeah, absolutely. Right, we're, on, we're on tap and probably. Uh, 15 or 16 places, but in the greater Concord area, we've got a bunch of places. You can find us at Tandy's. You can find us at True Brew Barista, Buffalo Wild Wings. Um, Area 23 often has us. Dos Amigos, Hermanos often has us. Uh, you can also find us at the Tap House Grill in Hooksit, the local in Warner, uh, Flight Center in Nashua. If you go to our website, www.litherman's.beer, there's actually a map. And uh, if it's got a pint glass on the map, it's someplace you can find us on tap. If it's got a bottle... They might have packages. We're doing very limited wholesale package distribution. For the most part, if you want to get cans, you got to come to us to get them. And we're open Thursdays 4 to 7, Fridays 4 to 7, and Saturdays 12 to 5 at 126 Hall Street, Unit B in Concord. It's a little industrial park tucked in between New England Motor Freight and Amiskeg Beverages. And as soon as you drive in, you're looking at my back freight door. If, if it's open hours, there'll be signs out. Just follow the signs to the sounds of people laughing. Pretty cool. Thank you so much. And uh, I'm really looking forward to trying some, actually. <laughs> thank you for having me on the show. I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, definitely. So thank you guys for uh, listening and hanging on for a few minutes while we get our last word from our sponsors. And everyone have a great day. So we're doing something really fun here on the Manhattan Business Show. I'm doing a weight loss venture. <laughs> so partnering up with Ideal Health to go on their program, lose weight, get back in shape, you know, all that fun stuff. So you'll be able to watch that here on the New Hampshire Business Show as I progress through the program. We'll be doing weekly updates, um, some promos, things like that. And it's going to be a lot of fun as we see me go from my current position down to, you know, my goal weight, which is about 130 pounds less than where I am right now. So <laughs> if you're looking to... You know, change your life for the better as well. Um, and you want to follow along with me, head over to nhbusinessshow.com slash ideal. And uh, you, we can all get started together. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm excited and uh, trying to get back down to my army weight. You know, not my post-army post, post army weight. <laughs>